0: Hi, I'm David Hershkovitz, and you're listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Burb strives to build on the city's legacy of cannabis tolerance and its gift to the world, BC Bud. Follow us on Instagram at ShopBurb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash light culture. What would Larry David do if he were handed a joint at a pot party after seeing someone else hit it first? Would he freak out at the possible double dip? I discussed this burning question and others with Lizzie Post, the author of a new book, You Don't Know You Need. A daily smoker and the great-great-granddaughter of the etiquette guru, Emily Post, She is the perfect person to write a book for our cannabis culture today. Higher Etiquette, a guide to the world of cannabis, from dispensaries to dinner parties, looks at the changing world created by the growing acceptance of the plant as part of daily life, along with single malt scotch, craft beers, fine wines, and cigars. What's the etiquette of entertaining at home? when some guests smoke and others don't? How do you handle a pushy person who calls you an idiot for smoking pot? How open should you be with others about your medical marijuana use? What about playdates and parents who are concerned about your smoking? She calls herself a girl from Vermont who grew up next to a dairy farm. I probably should have asked her what other kinds of farms did she grow up around? You know, Wink, wink. Well, hi, everyone. Today, my guest is Lizzie Post, the author of a new book that's getting a lot of attention and people are talking about. It's called A Guide to the World of Cannabis From Dispensaries to Dinner Parties. So, I had the good fortune of reading it. I love the tone of the book, by the way. It's so adult, I think. I, lo- <laughs> I love the packaging. Thank you. It gives you the impression that this is a book you should hold on to and refer to, you know, in a different kind of cover and all that. In addition to the word of etiquette, the book is also kind of a primer on cannabis for anyone who you know who needs to know the difference between all the various subjects you bring up and whether it's CBD or the different strains and all those lots and lots of interesting stuff. It's not trying to be flashy or hippie trippy, no tie-dye graphics, that <laughs> does have tasteful illustrations. And nevertheless, you know, if nothing else, I think the book gets you to think about the world in a different way, given that, you know, we have grown up in this kind of disparity that you talk about, whereas from a from a time when it was completely illegal to today, where it's legal in various degrees, depending where you happen to be standing. hmm and uh, I also just want to add that Lizzie is also the great-great-granddaughter of Emily Post, who wrote the amazing classic Etiquette, Manners for Today, which is now in its 19th printing. So she's got the genes for this. <laughs> Thank
1: you.
0: So a uh, first question I wanted to ask is, so t- today, what do you think is the number one etiquette violation or issue that seems to come up and it's the hardest to deal with?
1: I think the hardest one for for the cannabis community is the, the judgment that a lot of us experience. Um, and I did want to make just one note. The title of the book is actually Higher Etiquette. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the... you had the subtitle going, which is great because it's the descriptive portion of it. But I did want folks to know well, that the you. title of the book is Higher Etiquette. And I think that when it comes to judgment, what's really hard uh, for our community is that on the one hand, we get the judgment coming at us. But on the other hand, we can also be judgmental towards others um, because we're we often feel like we're coming from a very defensive place. We're a culture that has often been stereotyped in certain ways, and yet we're an incredibly diverse culture and community, um, and a very lots of broad uses. Uh, for the plant within the community, and the more that we can get people to understand that lots of different people engage with this in lots of different ways, I think the more that we're going to see that judgment lessen. But I myself fall prey to it. I was at a at the National Stationery Show last week, and we certainly had higher etiquette there, and it was uh, really great to have it among the entire collection. But a couple people did pick it up, and one gentleman in particular said, Oh, pot etiquette? That's just stupid. Smoking pot is just stupid. And, you know, here he's talking to someone who's a daily consumer and he's not aware of that. And he's talking to a, a brand that he does respect and really like. He said he was a fan of Emily Post. And it would have been really easy to fire something back at him in that moment, but that wouldn't have been very polite. And so, I tried really hard to wait in the conversation and instead just say, oh, wow, you and I have really differing perspectives on this. For me, this is my experience with it. And I find that when I come at things with that kind of positive confidence about my own experience with cannabis, that other people are less willing to then just call what I'm doing stupid or to, to tell me um, that I'm a bad person for doing this. And I think that the more we can have that kind of patience as we move forward, eventually we won't encounter those kinds of conversations as much.
0: Because the time will just have passed on and and people will take it for granted. People will
1: be more aware, I think, and they'll they'll be aware that it's not something that it's not just a a one note thing. And there will always be some folks who just don't like it and wanna wanna leave it in the the category of things that are bad. But um I think you'll see a, a greater acceptance overall as we move forward with time, especially if we get federal legalization to help it happen.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people probably still carry over from those days with the cultural divide where he has, you know, smoking or starting to smoke back in the 60s really indicated that you were separate from the mainstream, that you had different mm-hmm. views. You, people would gravitate to each other just because they had long hair and smoked a joint, and they <laughs> thought they could right. be friends. Exactly. You know? So do you think that's still a holdover today, that people still think of that as, what? like this gentleman you were referring to, it seems like it was more like a reaction to the idea of, of what it means to smoke, even though I'm sure uh, you've discovered that it probably crosses all demographics
1: it really does. It really, really does, especially when you open up the medicinal side of it. I mean, then you've got, uh, I was just hearing about parents of a, a, a child who is having seizures who use it. And when that's the medicine that keeps your child safe and healthy, or when that's something that you in particular use uh, medicinally, I think it, it really does carry a different weight. And the hope is that as more people understand the plant and how people engage with it, the the less stigma will be attached to it. And it just it won't be a thing. You won't have that kind of carryover of the, the stereotypes. And it's also not to say that the stereotypes are bad. Those are also groups of people who consume cannabis and celebrate the plant and love the plant. And so we don't want to demonize those stereotypes either.
0: But do you think we should be held up to the same standards of etiquette in, in both of those groups?
1: I think that no matter what, um, at least from the Emily Post perspective on etiquette, we really look at guiding interactions from a place of consideration, respect, and honesty, and that really crosses all boundaries. Um, of our populations. And it's something that that anyone of any population can embrace and implement in their lives in order to build better relationships with the people around them, whether that's a a quick interaction with someone or whether that's, you know, someone within your family or your workplace who you you engage with on a more regular basis.
0: Yeah, you referred a little bit earlier to the judgmental part of it to others, but what about people who are judgmental to themselves because they've been told all these years that they've been doing something terrible, you know, and, and been looked down on by society?
1: Right, we talk about that in the book that shame is actually one of the biggest hurdles that the cannabis community has to get over. Um and to get to the place where we're we're positive in how we self-identify as cannabis consumers and I myself had to go through that. You know, I noticed prior to doing the research for this book how often I would, I I would use self-deprecating language or, you know, I would say, oh yeah, you know, I still smoke pot, still love it. Even after college, you know, you would say things like that. And now it's just, It's just a part of who I am and what I do and what I enjoy the same way someone else would be, you know, a big fan of craft beer or wine or, you know, smoking meat or making confections or baking, you know, different things like that. And I noticed that when my own language and attitude changed, that other people accepted me and what I chose to do a lot more easily as well. And I think part of that does come from having that positive confidence. It's been really nice. And it's it's tough because it's It's not how everyone is experiencing uh, cannabis or even their own self-identity with cannabis right now. But again, hopefully the more mainstream it gets, um, the more that uh, legalization in in both kind of realms, both the recreational adult use and the uh, medicinal use sort of broadens, I think the better off we'll be.
0: So are you saying that writing the book, the process of going through this helped you come to terms with some of that?
1: I think so. I think it really did. Um, it, It certainly forced me to have to figure out how to talk about it because here it was something that previously in my life I kind of had to be a bit more careful about. And then when you're going to have your name on a book, you know, about cannabis, you're really out there to the world with it. And I had to I had to make that jump myself about deciding, you know, how much I was going to talk about, how much I was going to share and how I would have that conversation in a really positive way so that interactions like that one I had with the gentleman at the stationery show wouldn't be ones that would weigh so heavily on me and wouldn't be ones where I would be accepting others judgment so heavily.
0: You mentioned that you were a regular smoker. Mm -hmm. So, how did that start? Tell me a little bit of this history. I can't, I'm trying to imagine what you were like before you are the way you are now being able to. Before I was an etiquette
1: expert. Yeah.
0: Before you knew how to Um, handle these awkward situations.
1: Yeah. I think part of it starts with just the fact that I'm I'm an average Vermont girl, you know. Um, I wasn't I wasn't born in a you know in a high-rise in a big city, you know, in in any kind of an elite class. That that wasn't ever who my family was. Well, maybe Emily herself was, excuse me, but certainly not not how I grew up. Um, you know, I grew up next door to a dairy farm and uh, with parents who really uh, put the value on the consideration and respect aspects of. Ed- Although my mom did a really great job of teaching us table manners. um, And she made it really fun. But I would say that it was something I was always drawn to. And I knew I wanted to try as a a young person and then did and liked it. And then it went throughout my 20s taking time off from it at certain times in my life. And then um, really came came back to it after about a two and a half year break from 28 to 30 and a half. And um, (laughs) and started incorporating into my life more again, and really was starting to find a bigger variety of cannabis to choose from, which allowed me to have a lot more control over the experience that I was having. And that I found really beneficial um, to this thing that I was always drawn to. And it was something that anyone in my private life knew about for sure, 100%. I mean, it was it was something that was, you know, either going on at my house or something I would engage with when I was out socializing with friends. And I came from a community where there was a lot of it around. So it was fairly easily accepted. I think so.
0: Yeah, my daughter went to UVM.
1: <laughs> oh, so she, you get it then. Groovy, um, and even that's a stereotype. But uh, we really, you know, so it wasn't a huge deal in, in Vermont, but it certainly wasn't something that I I was going around and and saying out proudly at every single event that I worked as an, you know, as an Emily Post employee. And I was always happy that when I talked with my family, um, especially about legalization uh, and how much it was starting to become a thing, especially after 2012, that they were really confident that at some point we would write on the subject. And I believe the first interview that I did about cannabis or the first time we broached the subject was... And I can't remember the publication, I apologize, but um, we were talking about how in Brooklyn people will smoke on the stoop and what is that for, for the community, for the neighborhood, you know, what kind of an impact does that have? And then from there, it went on to, I remember I did an interview with um, the CBC, uh, one of their radio shows up in Canada, and we were talking about cannabis. And the next thing I knew, we were, we were talking about bong etiquette. And the interviewer stopped the interview and he said, I just can't believe I'm talking to Emily Bo's great, great granddaughter <laughs> about bong etiquette right now. And I said, I know, it's, it's a thing. It's a culture that has its own etiquette to it. So, you know, let's explore, let's dive in. Um, and I had had my own experiences, of course, so I could go from the first-hand right. perspective. But those were the first times, and then um, a, and a company called or a publication called the Cannabis Out in Denver also did a pretty big interview that would circle circulate around four twenty about the etiquette of cannabis, and that was those were really the first three prior to this book.
0: And do you think that people should be smoking on the street on the stoop, or is that like? Too public, and you know, you never know who might not appreciate it or how. Especially, you know, I have a, even a you know bigger divide because you know, you li- if you live in California on the West Coast, you mm-hmm. you can do a lot more than you can if you live in New York legally, at least.
1: Oh, uh, legally, yes. Although I've been, I've been to New York recently a couple times, and boy, you can smell it everywhere. I can't see it, but I smell it everywhere. Yeah, well, the moving um,
0: target—that's kind of the secret.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do think that it's something we have to be aware of because smoke and even even some vapor, depending on how cloudy you make your vapor and whether or not you're really vaporizing versus combusting, um, it does have an impact uh, on the people around you. And while it's not very likely to get them high... It is likely to just be something that they're breathing in or that they're smelling. I think that our culture has always looked at, you know, smoke as something that, um, you know, we try not to have that impact other people, but we also try not to. To demonize those who choose to smoke. Um, I know I'm really sensitive to tobacco smoke, and I'm always really grateful when someone who decides to smoke a cigarette. the The area that I'm from tends to be there are few places where you can smoke cigarettes openly. Like even our our kind of like open outdoor mall, like walking street, um, doesn't, you're not allowed to smoke cigarettes on it. Um, you have to move to a side street. So I come from a place where it's pretty prohibited, but there are plenty of places in the States where you could, there are still smoking sections of restaurants or at least outdoors. There are smoking sections for people and, We still as a community seem to try to not let that smoke, um, you know, affect other people and uh, certainly not affect kids. And so I think that we as a cannabis community would want to take that into consideration for sure. But I wouldn't have a problem with someone sitting on their front stoop or on their their front deck or step and, and smoking a joint. And just the same way I wouldn't police my neighbor if they were smoking a cigarette in their backyard. Or a cigar. Or a cigar or a pipe.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned children, uh, which is, I know is a subject in your book that you discussed that's of great interest to a lot of people because, yeah. uh, you know, younger people now of this generation, they're having children. They want to partake of the plant um, in mm-hmm. some cases. Maybe their friends don't. Maybe they want to have play dates, all kinds of situations. How, how does one handle those?
1: This is a really complicated one. And I'll say that in my, in my book tour or on my book tour, excuse me, and in, at book signings where we do discussions and stuff, almost 90% of the time, the conversation goes right to the issue of mixed age environments um, and how to handle it. And as well as play dates and how to handle them. And there's a couple different factors that play with this. One is that just like alcohol and just like guns, we have subjects that we know are are either substances or, you know, arenas where adults engage with these things and kids do not. And cannabis is no different from that except for um, a few a few uh, folks who are in the medical arena where the cannabis is medicinal for their kids. and that's that's monitored. and that also then falls under the category of being private because it's your, medical life. And that is something that as Americans, we have always really valued that being a privacy point. It's really tough if you are someone who is nervous about cannabis and uncomfortable with cannabis to, I think, feel how how should you have that conversation and let people know excuse me, that you have boundaries. And one of the best ways that you can do that is when you're engaging with another parent and you're talking about doing a play date rather than say, Hey, I'm pretty sure you smoke pot, or I know I've heard you talking about smoking pot and I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with the kids being around it, you know, and, and just sort of stating your boundaries, um, in that very aggressive way. Instead, you can say something like, I just want to let you know, and I do this with all parents that I do have a boundary around cannabis, and it's something that I just, that's where my comfort level is now. And I want to ask you if you'd be willing to have a conversation with me about it if it's present in your home. It gives the other parent the chance to say, Boy, I'm not really comfortable exposing that part of my life. um, So, no, I'm not willing to have that conversation. Let's have the kids play either at your house or at a third location, you know, let's take them to the park together or something like that. That way you can kind of protect both people's perspectives because I don't think that you should feel like, you know, most people don't, for instance, have to show someone how the liquor cabinet is locked or how, how you know, the, the wine rack is up high enough that the kids can't get into it. But I do think that one of the places where we have to be really careful is with edibles, um, especially with if we're making homemade edibles, making sure that those really are stored properly um, and safely. But Again, we have these other subjects that we work with. Gun safety is a really big one. That's that's another big divide when it comes to playdates and comfort levels and things like that. We can lean on some of the really good conversations we've learned to have about these things when it comes to having them about cannabis as well.
0: Right, because even with alcohol, uh, you know, sometimes there's an issue whether parents should be allowed to drink. At the party when the kids are having a right. birthday party.
1: And then you get things like on TV shows, I was watching some some show on Netflix and the moms were all drinking at the, you know, out of their own water bottles that were filled up with wine or with cocktails at the Little League game. And then the TV show shows them all <laughs> then driving their kids home. And you're just going, what is going on? Like what? Right. This makes no sense to me. Um, this does not sound like re- responsible representation of good, good adult behavior. You know what I mean? But you know that these kinds of things happen.
0: Well, because we don't even notice it sometimes. You happen to notice it, fortunately. Yeah. But it's something we probably, I would watch and like, I wouldn't
1: even necessarily think. Wouldn't even. Th- it, you'd laugh at the joke, you yeah. know, that like moms, moms are all sharing the sippy cups that are just for moms. And it's so it's interesting how we as a, a larger culture and especially as an entertainment industry, how we're choosing to represent these things, how we're choosing to interact with them. Um, but it's worth examining. It's worth questioning. And no matter what, from an etiquette standpoint, you want to try um, to respect other people's boundaries, but you also like really do have the right to be you know, respected for your own as well.
0: You know, there's, you talk about the puff, puff, pass, uh, etiquette. (laughs)
1: Classic, right? (laughs)
0: Classic. And also, you know, the way the world is changing from how people consume and the kind of environments where people used to go to somebody's home. If they knew somebody, you know, who was selling the plant, and you'd meet other people and you'd sit around and it would be like a great way to meet people. And this kind of a bonding experience as well.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, people smoke, pass, cough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yep. and you know a Snoop Dogg says if you don't cough you yeah. don't get off so um, you know I always was wondering about like how the health and wellness aspect of all of that what, are there any studies to speak of that looked into, the, you know, how communicable diseases are spread this way, or is it colds or any flus and things of that nature? Yeah,
1: well, certainly when you've got people sharing sharing pipes and, and vape pens and bowls and bongs, um, if people aren't finding a way to sanitize the glass or like a lot of people will take a lighter to the end of a glass pipe um, just before they hit it, just to kind of burn off any potential germs. But you are very right that it's it's a question mark when it comes to, um, health and wellness for us. And if you are sick, uh, you probably shouldn't be inhaling too many things. Um, but I don't, I don't have any particular studies or information on that myself. Um, but I do think it's something to really take into consideration. And if we are being considerate to our friends and family that we're consuming this with, we'll choose when we are sick to not expose others to it. Now, I did partner up with the CDC a long time ago for a, um, a flu etiquette campaign. And I will tell you that you often don't know that you're sick until you're starting to show symptoms, and that's when you've already been contagious. So um, so it is. I, I won't go so far as to say personals for everybody all the time, um, but I do think that if you are really concerned about germs, finding that polite language to let someone know, oh, You know, I tend to smoke personals or, oh, no, I don't share my vape pen, but I do have one to share with other people. Um, And I think that's always a good a good route to go if you are concerned about germs is bring one for yourself and one for everyone else.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to imagine Larry David. (laughs) <laughs> uh, in the situation because of his famous, you know, the double dipping oh, yeah. episode where, you know, he was outraged if someone would actually double dip and it became like a meme, right? Everybody yeah. And it also made
1: it into Seinfeld. That was, that was definitely a, a Seinfeld episode oh, okay. where there was a double dipping thing yeah. going on. Oh, right. It
0: was Seinfeld maybe. So I'm trying to remember. So what would Larry David do? You know, if he was at a pot party, People were smoking and they passed him a joint. (laughs) If he's
1: playing his character, he's probably going to get it wrong when he does it (laughs) and get himself into all kinds of trouble and never be invited back. Um, But he uh, I'm I'm guessing that it would be something that he would have to, you know, he would have to think about ahead of time. And and I'm sure he would get caught in like the most awkward of all the scenarios. (laughs) I feel like there's an episode that we should make for this. I think (laughs) so.
0: I think it's probably in the works already, you know.
1: Um,
0: So you mentioned Canada also, which we know is the first, you know, big G20 country that has full legalization.
1: So exciting.
0: Right. So how is that different? Is etiquette different in Vancouver, say, than it is in, in L.A. or New York? Or is it all one? Or, you know, are they just different customs? in different parts of the world?
1: I haven't been to uh, Vancouver to know, but from what I know, a lot of the basics are still the same when it comes to things like, you know, just not bogarting the joint, not holding it for too long, uh, you know, just wasting the weed, letting it burn away, Um, not burning the entire bowl, but just, you know, burning a little bit of the edge so that you can, other people have a, a... a chance at fresh green but again the more that the more that we talk the more these customs are going to uh, come out. I didn't do any research in Canada specifically for this book, but it's it's not far off from, from American etiquette. We often exchange very similar courtesies uh, across our big border. Getting my first chance to head up to Toronto in November, so it'll be really fun to connect with the uh, Canadian cannabis community and get some feedback from them.
0: Right, because they've had you know, at least in Vancouver, and I'm sure in other parts of Canada, sort of like an acceptance without a full legalization, but they had stores, they had, you know, coffee shops, and have a whole generation that was raised uh, this way. And when I was out in Vancouver, my company, Burb, that, you know, sponsors this podcast, I was talking with them about this, about given how, great it is that the whole generation grew up in, you know, this kind of normalization and stigmatization, but then they said that even still... In in Canada in Vancouver, that if you have smoked and you could have, you can smell it on you. You know how it, mm-hmm. that if you walk into a restaurant, you still get looks from people
1: oh. <laughs> like,
0: "Oh shit, what have they been doing?"
1: Yeah, right. Or if your eyes are really red, or some of yeah. the other classics. Um, yeah, there are some there are some moments like that. But it, it's you know we also we see that with drinking too, right? If we smell like alcohol, if Mm -hmm. we look a little loopy, if we look a little off balance, um, or slurring our words, people kind of question what we've been up to. And I think that that's, you know, a lot about a lot of that comes down to then personal regulation and knowing yourself and knowing the strains that you're consuming or knowing with alcohol when, you know, what your limits are. Um, I think all of that is really important. You know, we have to, we have to pay attention to ourselves and be honest with ourselves about it.
0: So, do you think it's possible to smoke too much?
1: Oh well, I think any of us can get too high. Yeah, I, um, I certainly have in moments, and then you're like, boy, I can't talk. I'm not. I'm not a good a good socializer right now. Right. Um, you know, I think that can happen to anybody, um, especially if we're smoking strains that we're not familiar with, and that brings up another etiquette point of hmm. when you offer somebody something tell them tell them the strain and if they're not familiar with it let them know some of the common effects of it and different bodies react different ways so we have to take that into account but i for one like typically um not a whole lot of my uh crowd that i hang out with on a really regular basis are heavy smokers and so when they come hang out at my house they are often looking to toke with me but they Really aren't going to be able to puff down an entire joint, you know, between two or three people. And so what I'll often do is roll up a joint that's like half or three quarters of the way mixed with CBD flour, so that they're getting just a little bit of THC and can really enjoy a lot of them enjoy the act of smoking a joint, but they're like, but two hits and I'm done. This allows them to smoke for longer, and the CBD helps to mitigate the effects of the THC, or at least the psychotropic effects of the THC. And so they can really kind of enjoy that joint experience without getting too high or feeling uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, I imagine those invitations are highly coveted.
1: No, that's, what <laughs> I, that's when I go back to that casual, you know, just a normal Vermont girl in a normal neighborhood, um, you know, kind of experience where, you know, just... Every day, <laughs>
0: and so thinking, who did you write this book for? Uh, wondering because I think it's. Did you have a particular person in mind?
1: It was funny, and it's a really good question because it was actually a tough balance to strike when you're writing it both for the cannabis curious, those who are curious about cannabis and maybe want to jump in but don't know how, but you're also writing to really long time consumers, people who've been doing this for generations, who who you know before I wrote a book, they wrote the book, you know, and um, it's you really want to make sure that it feels accessible and comfortable for both of those audiences. Um, and that was a big goal that I had when I was writing as I, I kind of, you know, would send chapters out to friends who were very curious about cannabis um, and really had no idea about it and just making sure that it, it read cleanly and smoothly and like they felt like they could get a good understanding, especially from that meat cannabis chapter that really describes the plant. And and its compounds and properties, and the different products and methods of use. But then I also wanted it to be fun and engaging for people who'd been longtime consumers or longtime growers, where some of these classic elements of our culture are being brought to light. And you could almost laugh or just be like, oh, gosh, I totally know that guy, the guy that doesn't pass the joint, you know, or, oh, man, I'm so glad that they wrote about Grow etiquette, because people come and they touch my homegrown plants, and I'm like, hey, don't touch my plants. Um, and so I, I wanted it to kind of reach both those audiences.
0: Yeah, and I think it's successful. I mean, I feel like Thank I'm... Thank you.
1: I appreciate you. Yeah,
0: that. because I mean, I, I think I'm both of those people, because I'm old enough to have been around for the illegal market for many years surviving in there, and then also now immersed in this new and trying to understand what's going on in the transition. I think uh, because it's coming out the way it is and the stigmatization and, you know, it's changing people's perception, uh, people need to think about these things in a different way because it's just more public now. So yeah. and it's going to be more open at parties and all these different situations uh, that they're going to encounter that in the past they probably wouldn't have been so, as likely to, to go into a situation where the parents are in another room smoking. I don't you know. I don't know and kids are partying <laughs> no, to, in this well, other room. That's
1: actually one of the, the examples that doesn't end up in the book, but I'm hoping for second mm. edition we do put it in. Is that classic party moment where all of a sudden you look around and there's only two of you in the living room and everyone has slowly (laughs) migrated to the back porch? Like, that's not good etiquette. Uh, You know, we want to be inclusive. We want to let people know, hey, some folks are going to go out for a join on the back porch and feel confident saying that to people and inviting them to come and chat if they don't want to participate or to as the host be checking in or spending time with guests in the in the living room who didn't want to go out and be around the smoke you know as hosts it's really our job to make sure all of our guests are feeling comfortable especially if we're adding elements you know whether it be alcohol or Um, Or cannabis. And that's just, that's important. That's about taking care of people and making them comfortable in your home and making sure they have a good time.
0: So that's just like being a hostess matters. Do you think that (laughs) basically what you're saying is true for whatever the circumstances? You know, I know you have a lot of specific information about situations that arise and this whole new kind of product that people need to think about in a way. But is this still the Emily Post principles? From day one right you got it um, <laughs>
1: it absolutely is and honestly that was what was really fun about writing the book and there you had this piece of paper taped to my wall that every time I kind of because you have to understand I went on a huge learning curve oh. when I did the research for this book yeah, it was I like hear about that Vermont was not legalized at the time that I, it was, we were working on uh, homegrown legalization and where you could smoke your own and grow your own and give your own, but we don't have a retail market. So we didn't have access to all the different methods and just kind of that familiarity of years of having legalization under our belts, like Oregon and California and um, and Colorado did in uh, Washington state as well. And so I went out to those states to learn those things, and I would come back and be like, oh my gosh, there's <laughs> just so much to put into this book. And my cousin, who's also my business partner and co-host of our podcast Awesome Etiquette, he would say, Lizzie, you know how to do this. Bring it back to the etiquette. Like, mm. what's the social interaction that's happening? What's, you know, a house guest supposed to do? What's a host supposed to do for a house guest? What are, what are the classics? <laughs>
0: So tell me about the research, though. So what did you do? You went into people's homes or?
1: Yeah, definitely the best research of my life. (laughs) I had worked uh, on the proposal. I had run a lot of things by a dispensary owner in Colorado um, uh, by the name of Dan Martin, and he owned a dispensary called Magnolia Roads. And after speaking with him over the phone and, and running things by him before I submitted the proposal for the book, I went out once the, the proposal had been accepted and actually uh, lived with he and his wife and their three kids and got to spend time at both their medical and recreational dispensaries to get a feel for the different uh, considerations that took place in each, to meet with their friends and all the dispensary workers. To I did interviews with each of the workers ask about cannabis in their lives. Some were parents, some were young 20-somethings, and just getting the different perspectives of how people uh, chose to, to live and act and interact with cannabis. And I certainly through we did, uh, uh, I went, after I spent a week with them, I then went and stayed with a friend of mine who's uh, in a band called Dopapod. And we threw a big party at his house um, where we invited people to come and smoke and talk about their experiences and, you know, if they were from a different region or a different area of the country, you know, what were the norms in those areas? And it was it was a it was a really fun fun time. I will also say it was the most positive research I've ever gotten to engage in when you look at things like social media etiquette or cell phone etiquette, I hear just so much complaining going on. And in the world of cannabis, when I was talking with everyone, it was everyone was so positive about sharing and positive about generosity and gratitude and really embracing kind of these these three uh, tenets of etiquette, these three principles of etiquette that we at Emily Post embrace, which are consideration, respect, and honesty, um, yeah. and it was it was just delightful. <laughs> and
0: that, that doesn't that, doesn't that go along with the plant anyway? Which is what yeah. one of the reasons people believe so much in it that it does yeah. create those kind of situations of respect, and you know, you could be standing around with a very diverse group, and suddenly, you know, everybody's fine and just talking about something in a way absolutely. Respectfully.
1: No, it's so true. And the other thing is, I've never met a a community that's so willing to call each other out on points of etiquette and not get offended about it. Like, if you're sitting at a dinner party table and someone passes something the wrong way, it's hmm. you could. It's like you wouldn't ever call them out on that at the table. But if the joint starts to go the wrong direction or if somebody isn't passing it, everyone will just say, hey, man, pass the joint or, hey, you know, keep it moving. And yeah. nobody gets offended.
0: It's right, because like, you know that's part of it too. You would do the same thing, get to someone it. else if they had <laughs> in that same position, unless they were a total rookie. So how would you approach, you know, how would somebody who never has really had this experience And, you know, finds themselves in a group and, you know, someone's passing or not. Or do you think it's ever right to go ask to have a hit on a joint with people you don't know?
1: Well, that I think is it's a harder that's more of a, you know, how how adventurous are you socially and how safe do you feel in that environment to go do that? But I'm a big fan of just admitting where you're at and saying, hey, I'm new to this, what do I do to hit this bowl or i'm I'm new to this you know how how many tokes do I take before I pass it? Um, and when you ask just the same way if you ask your host you know where should I put my coat or you know whatever the question might be, I think you're in a much better position um, because we aren't all gonna know everything every time and you shouldn't be expected to and I know that I've always been grateful in the moments where someone has kind of led the way or been my guide through a new experience. So, for instance, dab rigs. I still get a little nervous around yeah, dab rigs too. because I'm very worried about breaking someone's dab rig. <laughs> well, also, they the blow
0: thing. up and stuff, don't they?
1: Well, they don't necessarily blow up, but yeah. <laughs> At least I haven't heard of one, but you do. Know. Some okay. people use a blowtorch to yeah, eat it. Other people I mean. use electric ones. Um, and so it's just a little more complex than your average, you know, bowl with a, with a little carb on the side and so it's really really nice when someone really takes you through the process or shows you how to do it first so that you feel like you're doing it correctly and I always again I fall back on I'm so impressed with the cannabis community the ego is kind of taken out of it and most people will say hey I've never done this before could you show me how um, and that's, it's really nice to see people feeling confident asking that question and anyone who's new to any part of it should, should feel confident asking that.
0: Well, they should, but on a plane recently, I was watching the breakfast club, <laughs> which if you may remember, <laughs> if you've ever seen, you know, about these. I remember
1: that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
0: they, there's some weed in there that they're all smoking and passing around and, but also there's this whole thing about, have you ever had sex? And nobody really wants to admit that they've never <laughs> had it. And sort of with weed, we could find ourselves or someone might find themselves in a similar situation. They don't want to admit that they're already 21 and they haven't tried it. What kind of kid are you? People are going to make fun of them.
1: No, I don't think so. It's more one of those like, for instance, my editor of the book, her husband didn't engage with cannabis until it was legalized. So that meant it wasn't until his his earlier late 20s. Um, when he first started doing it and he could actually go to a dispensary and that was, those were some of his first experiences. Um, and I think the, the more we can feel confident admitting that kind of stuff, because, We all go through our walks of life and and hit markers and milestones at different times. I had a friend, it was interesting, I I met them through an Emily Post event and she was in her 50s and she actually chose to smoke pot with me for the first time and it was great. And I was so honored that she felt comfortable around me to do that, you know, and that, that I could lead her through that experience and make sure she had a good time with it.
0: Education is really important now because you know, for many years we weren't allowed to research I know. The, the subject, and you know, so far behind with regard to where we could be uh, about the properties and the potential, uh, especially in the health and wellness, which were, you know, yeah. is, is I think, a surprise to me in some respects because i always thought that was just sort of a way to get around getting your weed for free you know <laughs> just like sort of that's a, that's how i always thought of it but as it turns out that's turning it's becoming the biggest part of the whole you know the plant really, has been around really is. but a lot of these chemical yeah. things that they're creating haven't been
1: it's also why we need to to make sure that cannabis isn't listed as a schedule 1 drug um, it's really been mislabeled and misidentified. I mean, it's in a class right alongside heroin.
0: I know. And they're yeah.
1: just two incredibly different beasts. And Schedule One drugs you cannot do the same level of research on. Um, and that's, that's you know, we've got, there's so many reasons why we need to be able to do this research, especially when a large percentage of our population is engaging with this plant regularly.
0: Yeah, and is in jail for it as well.
1: Oh, Whole other issue, the social justice around cannabis. When your when your state is looking to legalize, uh, it's really incredibly important that you are voting for programs that are for for legislation that is going to allow for uh, equity that's going to allow for expungement and other types of, um, uh, releasement programs. Uh, I gotta say, I've been really proud of my state of Vermont, um, that they've been really forward thinking in terms of that. And it's really important. You just can't have a state where you've legalized something and you've got people in jail for it. Um, it's, it's not okay.
0: No, that really has to be embedded in any, you know, future world of cannabis. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's also uh, when you were speaking about the schedule, one thing, it made me think about, you know, how the world we're in today is kind of a response to the fact that it was miscategorized in the beginning. So there's so much work being around sort of making this normal because it was put into this miscategorized based on a mistake instead of, you know, if it hadn't been put into that category, we wouldn't have to bend over so far. Uh, you know, in order to make it more acceptable today
1: to reverse it. Yeah, yeah, no. And I, and you know, more than I on that, I didn't even know that it was miscategorized as a mistake. No, um, well, what
0: I mean is that since it was put in the category one.
1: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, I thought uh, you were saying that it was, it was quite literally a mistake that we've learned about later. Oh no, um, it wasn't intentional. In it was intentional mistake that it's in this category. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I, I totally you know what
0: agree. I mean? It was yeah. put in there. It never should have been. And because we're coming out of that, that's the, the bar that's been set. Yeah. So everything that follows is a you know, it's already wrong. There's no way it's structurally wrong. So therefore, they have to create so much, uh, you know, legislation and bureaucracy yeah. around it. Uh, it's a yeah. whole other subject, perhaps. But anyway, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a post. big sub. It's I mean, when it comes to the, the legalization and the the studying of it, it's those are two gigantic subjects. And again the more that we can talk about it, the more we can let people know that these are problems and issues that need to be dealt with as we move down the path of legalization, the better off we're going to be.
0: Thank you, Lizzie Post, author of High Etiquette, A Guide to the World of Cannabis from Dispensaries to Dinner Parties. Uh, Thank you so much for being my guest today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Please follow us on Instagram at ShopBurb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash Light Culture, as well as iTunes and all the regular distribution platforms.